the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. We are fortunate to be alive at this moment in history. I can hear you. I can hear you. The rest of the world hears you. And the people who knock these buildings down will hear all of us soon. The truth is plain to see. If you want freedom, take pride in your country. If you want democracy, hold on to your sovereignty. It's time for the Pro-America Report with Ed Martin of The Answer San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Great to be together and so much to cover. And please visit ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com to uh, follow all these great segments. Also, you can sign up for the Daily Wink. You want to do that and make sure you're up to date every morning, 5 a.m. You get an email tells you what's going on. All right. It's Ed Martin here, uh, Ed Martin's Pro-America Report. We got a lot to cover to be pro-America. In a few minutes, we'll talk. This is a wonderful one. We're going to talk with an author who wrote a book, a novel, a historical novel called Honest Abe. Honest, excuse me, Old Abe, about Abe Lincoln, the last five years of his life. And I've begun the book. I'm about hmm, a third of the way through. And I hate having to interview a guest, uh, an author, only a third of the way through. But I had to get him on because I really want to talk about this book. It's great. And <laughs> it's fitting that Abe Lincoln was brought up last night. Uh, in the debate. Uh, so we'll talk with uh, John Cribb, uh, Cribb, Cribb uh, in a few minutes. And then we'll talk with Joel Pollack, the great Joel Pollack. If there were honor in the Pulitzer Prize field, he would get a Pulitzer Prize for his work at Breitbart.com. Joel Pollack will join us. Okay, let's talk a little bit about what is happening and uh, how to break down exactly what's occurred in the um, in the debate last night and also in the ensuing uh, days uh, since then. So first of all, uh, let me um, let me tell you the fallout after the debate over the last 24 hours or so. The fallout is this. Yes, it's true. There's lots of questions about damage to, say, Pennsylvania voters by Joe Biden's admission that he wants to get rid of oil and gas, you know, get rid of the fossil fuels completely. That's true. And yes, there is ongoing questions about Hunter Biden's um, uh, emails and what it means and what uh, uh, Joe Biden being the big guy means. It looks like old fashioned corruption. But what you need to know now is more is bigger. Pull back a little bit and start to see the trend line campaigns for office especially federal races big races you know that have lots of other races alongside whether congressional house races senate races presidential you know a lot of states like in missouri where i come from there's governor's races in this year and all but big big races and heading into november there's a lot going on 
a lot of action, you start to feel the trend line, the, the sort of um, line that the race is on. And as much as you would like to, if your race is going poorly, you try to change the trend line and you can't. You just sort of stuck the momentum. It's been going on for too long. I remember in 2012, I was the um, uh, nominee for attorney general, Republican nominee for attorney general in Missouri. And, and I was flogging away, trying to change the direction because the race was going bad. Romney had no energy. He'd, he'd insulted half the vote with his comment on uh, that was caught on uh, on uh, unguarded videotape and it just was a mess there's a moment where you just know what trend line you're on what you're seeing right now is the Trump campaign is surging it's surging in all kinds of ways enthusiasm that's true uh, the polls are tightening that's true you're seeing uh, uh, more engagement it's all true but you're also seeing the surge um, because for example uh, the Wall Street Journal on Friday uh, Peggy Noonan posted her column which she wrote after the debate Thursday night and she said basically Biden looked like the usual politician Trump looked like himself Trump looks better Biden looks like he might lose Biden's probably going to lose now Peggy Newton's a moderate and she's kind of a clean fingernail type. She's been mad at Trump and writing terribly uh, strongly against him for months. And she's um, so the fact that she would change her tune is an indication of the trend line, right? The surging trend line that people are coming up with a reason to say, yeah, I'm not going to go for that Democrat. And, I, you know, someone used the phrase. I talked about this earlier today. In case you want to tune in, I go on Periscope each afternoon uh, at two o'clock and I, at two o'clock East Coast time. I went on Periscope and I was talking about this. There's a, something that someone used the term once called the fake because, if voters want a reason to vote for Trump or against Biden, but they need a reason to tell themselves and other people like, oh, well, Trump, he he showed more maturity in the second debate. He, he seemed to be really have it together and he toned it down. He wasn't as uh, interrupting as much. Is that really the reason you change your mind? I, it feels like a fake because, you know, Joe Biden said he'll get rid of uh, all fracking and he'll ban the oil industry. Yeah, well, did you think he was any different before now? It's kind of a fake because that people use. But what happens in a campaign is you get headed in a direction. And right now, Trump is surging. And importantly, Joe Biden is fading he is fading and he's fading in front of us. You know, he seems weaker. He seems slower, all that stuff. But he still pulled it off the other night in his debate. He wasn't terrible. He was there and he was present. But he made a mistake on um, on the oil industry. He made a mistake, I think, by saying he'd give amnesty for at least 11 million illegal aliens. That's what he said on the stage. He, he made a bunch of mistakes because his campaign is fading. And their answer is other than Russia, 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 which is insane that they say that their answer is uh, we, we don't have much of an answer. You know, we, we're just kidding. We're, we're working on the people. He looked at the camera and he said, are you around your uh, table you or in your bed reaching over on your pillow? It was such political doublespeak. And at the end of this time period with uh, nine days left, eight days left, seven days left, just a few days from now, it'll be the one week out. You, you people start to feel where the election is and the election is drain the swamp and Joe Biden's the swamp. And you're feeling that. So that's what you need to know right now is the trend line on this election has changed dramatically. And what you can look for is the polls will get progressively closer and the Democrats will get progressively more critical 
of Joe Biden, the, the pollsters and the media will begin to explain it's not that Trump is talented and successful. It's that Biden fell apart. Biden ran a bad campaign. Biden wasn't ready for prime time. Biden didn't get out of his basement. You will start to see it already started yesterday. You'll start to see criticism of Biden by the media and the establishment as his flawed candidate. It's not that Trump did well. It's not that Trump has an argument. It's not that Trump is able to succeed. No, no, it's going to be slowly but surely. So watch for that. And you've already seen some of it. You're going to see some criticism there. All right. Uh, one more what you need to know today. Uh, we're heading into uh, this weekend. I want you to remember this. this is a big one. Monday afternoon, Amy Coney Barrett, Judge Barrett, will be uh, confirmed by the United States Senate to the U.S. Supreme Court. Putting aside for a moment how important that is, because I suspect we're going to see at least a half a dozen election law, election day related legal cases, emergency cases go to the Supreme Court. And now there will be a block of five uh, conservatives plus a Chief Justice Roberts, who's sometimes conservative. So six. I told someone it's like really like a five, three and one, you know, five conservatives, three liberals and one wild card. But the one wild card won't have the ability to control the whole thing because there's five. So uh, but but that that's that besides that being an unbelievable success in terms of what's going to come. I just want to stop and pause and alert you. It's it's really historic cooperation. Mitch McConnell and his team, the Republican Senate and their folks, the White House and their folks. It's not insignificant that they pulled this off. It's not. I mean, it's I'm, I'm saying it wrong. I'm saying it backwards. It's very significant that they were able to pull this off. And last time with Kavanaugh, in part because it got so ugly, there was more written uh, about it, I think. And there might be there might have been more written because there was no election a week later. Uh, but I, you know, Pat Cipollone, the, the general, the White House counsel, the lawyer in the White House, whose office is in charge of sort of managing judges, he, he pulled this off. Uh, you know, the, the Senate Judiciary Committee, including Lindsey Graham and his team, they pulled this off. Mitch McConnell has been masterful. I mean, it's really, really impressive that they were able to pull this thing together and have this go this far. Now, there's a few days left, and I would say to encourage uh, people that care about this, still stay engaged. We had an action alert out from our Phyllis Schlafly Eagles uh, saying people should call the switchboard, uh, make sure people knew uh, what exactly was at stake. And so you should continue to do that. I hope you will. Uh, but um, but as to uh, where it's headed, it looks like it's going in the right direction. Pretty extraordinary. All right. Uh, we were, we'll take a break in a moment. I want to remind you, uh, you can go over to Pro, ProAmericaReport.com. There are some really hot interviews from this past week uh, that were extraordinary. You're going to want to jump in there and get them. Go to ProAmericaReport.com. You'll see all of our, our interviews there, all the all the segments of the show there. You can get them, pass them on. Also, on Monday, I'll be filling in for Andrea Kay on the Andrea Kay Show. I think I fill in for her Monday and then a couple more times. Um, she's been on a little bit of a hiatus, and she'll be back. So that'll be fun. I'll look forward to that uh, next week, and I hope you will, too. And again, Follow me on Twitter at Eagle Ed Martin. Follow me on Facebook, Ed Martin Live, and make sure to share all this content, push it all around. It makes a huge difference to have you all become amplifiers, uh, ambassadors for the work we're doing. It spreads the word. And uh, I hope you enjoyed, by the way, last night's uh, uh, post debate coverage on the answer San Diego, uh, excuse me, dot com. That was a great time and a uh, very good guest. So we'll take a break and be right back. We'll have uh, John Cribb and uh, also Joel Pollack. Ed Martin here in a Pro America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. You all know how much I love books. 
and I love to get books. And so I had, a, in the last about month or so, I got an email from uh, one of the folks that's like a PR person. He said, hey, would you like some a copy of some books that are written, uh, excuse me, that are published by a new outfit I hadn't seen, Republic Books. So I said, well, what is that? And I, I looked into it, and uh, it's... Um, Al Regnery uh, went off and started another uh, uh, publishing house and has some great books in there. So anyway, one of the books that I was sent is by John Cribb, and the book is called Old Abe, and it's a novel. And so I actually have, I can tell you when it happened. About 15 years ago, I had never liked historical fiction. I just couldn't get myself to kind of enter into it. I liked fiction, and I and I liked history, but I didn't like them together. And I, I read a book, and I know John Cribb is joining us now, uh, called Blind Justice by Bruce Alexander. Uh, John, it was about a, a magistrate judge in uh, in England in like the 1800s, and I suddenly clicked on historical fiction. So when I got Old Abe, this book by John Cribb, and John Cribb is a, a best-selling author. He's uh, written histories. He's uh, worked in the Justice Department back in the Reagan administration. He's done a lot of different things published in the usa today chicago tribune uh national review online all over the place john i thought well this is going to be a good one and it's really good john so before we get to the book i want to ask you you saw the debate uh the last debate with president trump and uh and joe biden and if you write a novel a historical novel on abraham lincoln you're going to have to be something of an expert on lincoln what'd you think of the exchange on lincoln when you were sitting there did you see it and what'd you think yeah, and of course, President Trump has has made that illusion uh, before, and uh, yeah. you know I, he. I mean, you know, I can't. Who knows? Kind of subjectively, <laughs> yeah. but he has a good point in that he has done a lot for the African American community yeah. in this country. So, of course, I love any allusion to Lincoln. So I'm I'm perfectly fine <laughs> with President Trump. <laughs> Yeah, it was. I, I, fig, I, I figured I couldn't resist asking you. So we're again, we're talking with John yeah. Cribb, and his book is called Old Abe, a novel, and it's about the last five years of Lincoln's life, um, which is the years you would sort of know generally. It's from a right, right um, when he starts to gets the nomination. It opens on the the right the day before the nomination, which is I think in Chicago. Um, but the thing I liked about John is I like the um, putting the sort of um, personality on his relationship with his kids and his wife and and you're weaving in some of their backgrounds which is history and then trying to fill it in um the the thing i wondered about is how you know you're you've written a lot of history how'd you sort of let your um mind go to fill in the blanks of the personality how'd you do that as a writer well, you know, I just I, I would do all the research first and really kind of steep myself uh-huh. into it, and and really to the point where I really got to the point where you, know, you almost feel like you you know your characters, and then uh-huh. uh, I would just take a step back and just and just try to start to tell the story, and draw on what I knew, and then of course fill in the gaps with and, and the, the uh, yeah. with with the details with my imagination. But I, I appreciate you're saying that because that's exactly what I was trying to do is bring him to life. Um, and not yeah. have him just be that stiff image on the penny or the five dollar bill that we all know, but really make him a walking, <laughs> talking, you know, breathing fellow. Um, and I think it's important, you know, for these stories, uh, the story of Lincoln and you know the founders and all those. It's very important to tell those stories again and again. Um, we we need that, uh, you know, as a country. Well, and I'm a believer with you, John. I was actually having a conversation with another author a few days ago who's a, a member of the Horatio Alger Association, which is this sort of self-made men and women of America association. And I was telling him there's a thing that Americans need heroes and they need heroes yeah. 
that they can relate to, you know. And so here, the one thing that I've heard about Lincoln, and I lived in Missouri for a long time, used to go up to Springfield to the Lincoln Museum with my family. And, and so I did a lot of um, sort of, I, I didn't study Lincoln, but I, I saw Lincoln's stuff and I saw his, where he was buried and I, you know, was around it with my kids enough. And so I feel like I have some sense, but there, there has been in the last five or 10 years, this notion that Lincoln was, um, brooding a little bit, right? And even I think they clinic mm-hmm. and people say, oh, I, the depression. I thought the way you wrote yeah. about his marriage and himself, it made him feel more normal rather than this yeah. like iconic figure on the side of a mountain. Yeah, well, thank you. That's, that's what I was after. I mean, yeah, he had two sides for him. He did have that melancholy side, as they put it. And um, I don't think he was ever de- depressed. I mean, you know, but he, he was a great president. You know, you, you're not going to be a really great president if you're, you know, clinically depressed but he you know he did have a side of him too that would uh as, as, as it was called back then melancholy but he had this other side to him um that, that loved humor loved stories you know they tell that he was a great joke teller they said he could make a cat laugh he was he was so funny the way he told stories <laughs> yeah. um and uh-huh. so you know i, I tried to, to to uh you know it's very hard to communicate 19th century humor but i tried to to present him as you know somebody with with uh with with both sides and and, and by the way, anybody that went through what he went through um, with, with the, the Civil War, with that tragedy, is going to have a, a, a brooding side to them. <laughs> side that, yeah. Um, you know, somewhat, uh, somewhat melancholy. Yeah. Well, and again, we're talking with John Cribb, and the book is Old Abe, a novel. It's available everywhere. Books are available out a few weeks ago uh, in September. Um, more than that now, I guess, five or six weeks ago. That's another thing I wanted to ask you about. Um, sometimes we see, when we see the history, you see, you, you, you look back and think history was inevitable. So that, you know, we ended up with Lincoln. He was a great president. It was a great time. It was an important time. He was the right guy. When you open the book, it's like, well, if a few things went wrong, he wasn't going to get the nomination. Then he wasn't going to be president. And and then, in fact, he gets he gets the nomination. And in fact, he won because the year they just weren't going to tolerate the other guy in a way. I hate to sound like we're talking politics now, but sometimes the voters are voting against, not necessarily for. And the the sort of uh, foibles of faith that look in history like they were predestined are pretty extraordinary. And Lincoln seems to me to be one of those examples. Yeah, he's almost like a divine gift to the country, you know. And, uh, yeah, yeah, and you're right. And by the way, he went with less than 40% of the uh, popular vote when he was elected president. So uh, for, for yeah. those who are out there who are saying that we need to get rid of the Electoral College and all that stuff, he wouldn't have had Lincoln, you know, if, uh, if you were going to yeah. do away with all that. But, um, yeah, and Lincoln, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting because he himself – he came to view himself as a humble instrument in the hands of the Almighty, as he put it. He did have a streak of him in, in, in him that believed in um, what he would call fatalism, or um, that you know that God is in control of, of, of events, uh, not necessarily him. But on the other hand, he realized that 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 action counted, and um, so he, you know he really is a was a great man and is one of those people that stood in the breach and things could have turned out very differently. We had not had Lincoln there. They could have turned out much differently and perhaps much worse. And, you know, the history, you know, one of the problems with history these days is that it tends more towards social studies, you know, where they teach it and and, and not approaching it from the standpoint of, 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 of great lives and and which yeah. is what makes it interesting and Lincoln really is a great life he is worth knowing not only because of what he did just but because of his character and the virtues that he embodied i think 
Well, and also I think the thing you, you can't um, you cannot grow up as a boy or girl and want to be a movement. You grow up as a boy or girl, and you right. want to be a person, right? You want so you have to have That's some great, way yeah. to see and yeah. in, in the others. I mean, nobody, nobody, you know, nobody grows up to be the feminist yeah. movement. They want to grow up and be Susan B. Anthony, right? Nobody grows up civil right. rights movement. You want to be Martin Luther King Jr. Yes. And I think that's uh, that's that's a real benefit of of uh, your approach to this. So I, I salute you, John Cribb, Old Abe, a novel, uh, Republic Books. Hey, what's your next one? You, you you must. It feels like you enjoyed this. I feel like that as a writer, when I read it, I thought he liked doing this. Do you have another one? Oh, another, thank you. Uh, oh, that's topic. very nice of you to say. I, I did love. Yeah, I did love doing it. And if this book does well enough, I would love to go back and do the earlier part of his life, uh, his life out on the frontier, and how he got from that log cabin, maybe take him up through the Lincoln Douglas debates because that is a fascinating story. So I'm hoping. I'm hoping to do that. Yeah, that would be. I, I I have to say, you know, my uh, Phyllis Schlafly, late Phyllis Schlafly, for whom I worked, she she was born in St. Louis, but she lived for most of her life in Alton, and which was one of the sites of the uh, Lincoln Douglas. Yeah. <laughs> excuse me, the debates debate. was Alton, yeah. Illinois, and and I think those yeah. debates are really there's there's something there. So I hope you get to do it because there's really I think people would be fascinated by that that dynamic. They went on for hours. I mean, they were it was a fascinating yeah. uh, uh, thing. So um, okay, good. Well, listen, John, thank you very much. Keep us informed. I hope the book's a great success. We'll do our part if we can. John Cribb, the book is Old Abe, a novel uh, out a few weeks ago, everywhere you buy books uh, Republic Books, uh, we appreciate it John, thank you Thanks very much for having me, I really appreciate it Yeah, enjoyed it, okay we'll take a break everybody, we'll come back and don't forget I'll put this interview up and I'll make sure to promote it over there at uh, ProAmericaReport.com we'll put the link up, make sure and, and the link for the book too, so uh, we'll take a break and be right back, Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report back in a moment Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Our next guest is our old friend Joel Pollack. Joel Pollack, who is uh, one of the most important writers right now, to my, in my mind, as I said earlier, Joel, on our open, if they had a, a Pulitzer had any integrity, you'd, have, you'd get a Pulitzer uh, because of the work you've done in the last year and a half or two years. Uh, Joel is the senior editor-at-large of Breitbart News. He's also the host of Breitbart News Sunday on Sirius XM Patriot 125. And his new, uh, newest book is called The Trumpian Virtues, The Lessons and Legacy of Donald Trump's Presidency. Red November is the book we talked about recently, uh, Joel, one of your books about the 2020 uh, primary. Joel, before we get into this piece you wrote about the uh, Biden, the Hunter Biden emails, I want to ask you, you tweeted earlier um, about the debate, um, this uh, the last debate with Trump and uh, Biden, and you said Biden didn't try the Charlottesville hoax, which was something of a victory. Walk us through that. I think it's very important for people to realize maybe we've broken that spell, but I think you deserve a lot of credit for it, and I want to make sure we talk about it. Well, Joe Biden has been claiming for two years that the reason he's running for president is because of what happened in Charlottesville in August 2017. Now, listeners will remember that there were riots in Charlottesville. There were clashes between extremists on the right and the left over a statue of General Robert E. Lee that was to be removed. There was actually a local protest against the removal of the statue, which was organized by people who simply wanted to preserve the historical value of the statue. But that was hijacked by extremists and overshadowed by the violence that happened that day. On the day of the violence, President Trump came out and called for law and order, talked about violence on all sides, and there really was violence on all sides. Then it turned out a young woman, Heather Hare, was murdered by a neo-Nazi 
activist who drove his car into a procession of demonstrators on the other side. And he was eventually convicted. President Trump later said that that was an act of terrorism. It was murder. And he was asked about this at a press conference, and he said there were very fine people on both sides, meaning the statue of the statue issue for and against. But he's not talking about the white supremacists and the neo-Nazis because he said they should be condemned totally. Those are his exact words, condemned totally. He also gave a a speech from the White House that was on TV condemning them. Well, Joe Biden has edited or revised that history to claim that Trump was praising the neo-Nazis and the white supremacists, or rather that he never condemned them. And he's used that line, we call it the Charlottesville Very Fine People hoax. He's used it in almost every speech. He's used it in interview after interview, and he even used it on the debate stage on the first night. And I have spent the last two years trying to debunk this hoax, along with some others like Steve Cortez, who basically lost his gig at CNN because he stood up to CNN's mischaracterization of the hoax, and Scott Adams, the Dilbert cartoonist, who's become a political pundit. And I actually confronted Joe Biden directly. I was at the Iowa State Fair last August, and I had a chance to ask him a question face-to-face, and I said to him, are you aware that you're misquoting the president? He said the neo-Nazis should be condemned totally. And he denied it, and he shook his finger in my face and all that stuff. It's all on video. You can go and Google it or find it at Breitbart and so forth. It was a big deal at the time because all the other journalists saw it happen, and they couldn't believe it. And when they reported on that confrontation, none of the mainstream media outlets actually linked to the transcript of what Trump actually said. So they just reported that I had challenged him, but they didn't link to the evidence so people could decide for themselves. Anyway, in the vice presidential debate, Mike Pence debunked the hoax on live television. Kamala Harris brought it up again, very unwisely, I thought, because when you use something like that twice, you have to know they're going to be ready for it the second time. So Pence debunked it. He said, no, 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 this is complete nonsense. And interestingly, Joe Biden, who has used it at every other opportunity, it's part of his script, did not bring up the Charlottesville fine people hoax in the second and final presidential debate. I consider that a victory of sorts because (laughs) it shows you he knows it's false. It shows you they have finally backed down. Yeah, we're talking with Joel Pollack, and Joel, um, I want to segue to one of your pieces. It's a few days old now, though, on the um, uh, Joe Biden's claim that the laptop from hell is Russian Russian disinformation. And and I want to segue by saying this, and again, we're talking with Joel Pollack, uh, a, a senior editor at uh, Breitbart. Um, the media is so dishonest now. I mean, they, they, they're so dishonest. The Charlottesville hoax, they knew it. They could read the transcript, and yet it was to their advantage, I think, for the people that they you know, want to keep captive to their, in their audience. And same thing with the Russian disinformation. I mean, as you, Leslie Stahl in 60 Minutes, the president says to her, why don't you verify the emails? And she said, we can't, we can't talk about it. They're not verified. Why can't you verify them? Because we're not verified. I mean, you just, at this point, uh, Joel, you, know, you, you, you kind of shake your head and say, these people aren't doing journalism. They're not doing journalism, and what's happening in the White House press corps and the elite media right now is they all know that they are caught here because this story has checked out. There's nothing in the emails that has been specifically denied by the Biden campaign. They even admitted that he may have met with one of these Ukrainian advisors to Burisma with Hunter Biden, so they even said it could have happened. They're trying to play it down, but they can't 
dispute the substance of what was found on Hunter Biden's laptop and what was also found separately and independently in the emails of Hunter Biden's former business partner. So there's all this corroborating evidence, you know, unlike anything in the Russia story where there was no corroborating evidence and it turned out to be a fraud, but got reported for three years. We have found corroborating evidence. We've had witnesses come forward. The recipient of the emails, Tony uh, Bobulinski, came out yesterday and said that he was the recipient of an email. He sat down to discuss this China business deal with Joe Biden. So this is completely, as far as the media ought to be concerned, true. This is a true story, and they're trying to ignore it. And the reason they're ignoring it is they don't want to be the one to report it, because then if Trump wins, they're going to be blamed by their colleagues. They're terrified of yeah. the wrath of the mob that they've created. That's what's happening. Yeah. I was talking with Joel Pollack again. And, Joel, I want to ask you about three pieces that posted. You're very busy, but three posted uh, uh, earlier, October 23rd, back to back to back, crack of dawn, and then another one to crack of dawn, uh, one on the L.A. County schools, the unions, uh, one on Latino support in California, and then the other on the Sudan piece. And it's crazy to lump them together, except I want to ask you your observance, uh, I mean observance, your observation on uh, the premise of your of your recent book, Red November. You know, what's at stake in the fall and then uh, and and what's happening it feels like people who almost can't be quantified are on this president's side they, they're not going to be in the polls they're not going to be recognized i mean the idea the Sud- the sudan uh uh would be coming towards peace with israel is like off the charts right and then these hispanic mess i mean what do you see broadly pulling back what do you see at this moment in the campaign well Last Sunday, President Trump went to a church service in Las Vegas, and the pastor there said something interesting, which I saw because Trump tweeted it out. But it's a story from the Bible about how there is an army of angels that comes down. It's the second book of Kings, chapter 6, to protect the prophet Elisha during a war. And there's this silent, hidden army of angels even though what you see is that the other side is more numerous and more powerful, there's a silent army on Elisha's side that ultimately delivers him. And it's an interesting metaphor, because I think many of the Trump supporters are silent, are quiet, just like they were in 2016. There are probably more of them in 2020, because the retribution, the punishment that Trump supporters face is so much more real now. People are afraid to put up yard signs. People are afraid to say that they voted for the president. And yet the president has been so loyal to his base, has been so faithful to his promises that I think a lot of people who didn't vote for him or didn't vote at all in 2016 are going to come off the sidelines. That's the silent army that the polls don't see and the media don't see. But that's the army that that Trump's going to come with on November 3rd. And I think there is every chance that he will overwhelm the opposition that looks more numerous in some of the mainstream media polls, but in fact is not powerful enough to stop him from being reelected. 
Yeah, and Joel, just to put a fine print a point on it, um, in 2016, if you were a Trump supporter and I was, they called you kind of a buffoon. You were, you were crazy to back, you know, silly to back this guy. Now they call you a racist or worse. And so I think you're right. People have even less, even less, uh, you know, <laughs> reason to come forward. But uh, Joel Pollack, thank you for coming with on with us. Uh, Joel Pollack is over a senior editor at large at Breitbart News, host of Breitbart News Sunday on Sirius XM Patriot. His newest book is ebook Trumpian Virtues: The Lessons and Legacy of Donald Trump's presidency and his other one's very good is Red November. Thanks very much, Joel. Appreciate your time. Thank you. All right. You can follow Joel, by the way, at Joel Pollack. It's P-O-L-L-A-K on Twitter. Good Twitter feed, too. We'll take a break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily look at the significant issues of our time from an experienced conservative perspective. Sponsored by Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, this broadcast continues the legacy of Phyllis Schlafly and stands against forces that mock traditional values, slander America, and redefine the family. Now the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. War is a terrible thing. No one likes the idea of having to risk American lives in an armed conflict. However, if we're going to take out a foreign threat, the best thing we can do is go in with overwhelming force, crush our opposition, and come back home as quickly as possible. That's the best way to preserve as many American lives as possible. There's no need to linger in a foreign land without good cause. Back in 2016, candidate Donald Trump knew that the American people were tired of being entangled in the affairs of other nations. He promised he would withdraw our troops from Syria. Of course, that would not have been possible without getting rid of ISIS's death grip on the region. After President Trump followed through with his promise to bomb and rapidly defeat ISIS, it became possible to make his promise to withdraw our troops a reality. In fact, he sent a tweet out on December 19, 2018, saying, We've defeated ISIS in Syria, my only reason for being there during the Trump presidency. Shortly thereafter, Trump directed the Pentagon to begin making the withdrawal process. Despite loud protestations from Trump's usual critics, the move to pull out of Syria did not diminish our policy of American military superiority. White House Press Secretary Sarah Sanders assured the American people that we have started returning United States troops home as we transition to the next phase of this campaign. The United States and our allies stand ready to reengage at all levels to defend American interests whenever necessary. President Trump was smart to follow through on his campaign promise to bring our troops home. There's no reason to risk the lives of America's men and women in uniform fighting endless wars in the Middle East. When Trump eliminated the threat of ISIS, it was time to come home. Our armed forces are stronger than ever before. With President Trump as commander in chief, the men and women who fight for us finally have a leader who will fight for them. That's another Trump promise made and Trump promise kept. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. Ed Martin chronicles 100 times Donald Trump made a promise to the American people and followed through in the new book, Top 100 Trump Promises Made, Promises Kept. For details, please go to phyllisschlafly.com. Find resources and inspiration for this critical time at phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. 
Ed Martin here in a Pro-America Report. Hey, listen, the, out of the debates, there came some details, some things that people uh, sort of figured out afterwards, you know, looked into. There was a, a one point uh, uh, um, uh, Joe Biden claimed that people that were in catch and release, you know, the immigration policy in the past was if you came to America and you hit your foot on the ground in America and you claimed refugee status or asylum, we had to allow you to file that complaint and then we released you into America. And Joe Biden was lying about it or misinformed because an incredible number of those people that come and did cat, what's called catch and release, you know, you, you, when, you, when they were detained or they came in and filed something, they went into, this, into America, they never came back. It's about 1% that came back for their hearings, and the hearings were usually two years later. So you had people move into a community, you know, and, and begin working illegally and go to school with their kids illegally and all that stuff, and you never got them back. So Trump changed that. He said, if you want to come and apply for asylum or refugee status, you can, but you have to go back to your own country and wait. Now, two things about that. That only seems fair. It only seems fair that, you know, if you're Mexican and you kind of want to come to America because of refugee status you, and you make a case, you, you don't get to come here and disappear. Now, the argument, by the way, the counter argument from the folks, and they say, well, if you're in real, if you're a real asylum seeker and you're in real de- danger, you would be stuck if you went home back to Mexico. That's not most of them. And, and if it was, if they could prove that, they would be allowed to stay. So but here's the other part of this that's so disingenuous of Joe Biden. Trump ended that program because precisely because we couldn't control the people who were released in the country ever coming back. And Biden was saying, oh, no, they all come back. These are good people. They're working people. They're and then they segued into this debate on whether uh, the, the kids that were separated from their parents, uh, you know, these are good parents. It's, it's nonsense. The children are used as pawns. These aren't like families that come across as a family. There are some and that get away, but not most of them. Most of them use young people as their gateway, their ticket in, and they're coyotes, which is a term for people that get paid to bring people over illegally. They're uh, traffickers. They're just uh, paid operatives there's sometimes there are other family members who have a child a nephew a niece or a friend of the family they bring over it's not a clean system these are lawbreakers who are likely to be doing worse and the idea that joe biden has this like uh, this notion of pollyanna that these are like families that are coming across you know uh, playing folk songs together as they come to the promised land it's not how it is and he knows that if he doesn't know that he's really ignorant but he knows it and yet the media covers it with a straight face. They look at he looks at the camera and says, this is not who we are as America. Americans. Of course, the president said, you're the one that built the cages, Joe. You and Obama built the cages. You had this system. They're hypocrites, total hypocrite politicians of an extraordinary, uh, uh, you know, lying, deceptive stuff, except on this one. During the debate, Joe Biden admitted in the first hundred days in office, he's going to demand that Congress give him a pathway. He's going to send up a pathway to citizenship for, he said, 11 million illegal aliens. In other words, amnesty for 11 million illegal aliens. Let me be clear with you. There's no one serious who thinks the number is 11 million. It's at least 15 million, and it's likely 22 or 23 million people in this country that if you allowed amnesty would become citizens. We're talking about, we're, we're not talking about, you know, a small 100,000 people. And even if we were, there's a fairness argument. We're talking about 20 million people. Remember, America is about 340 million people total. So you're talking about, you know, what, 
Well, 10%, not, to, not quite 10%, less than 10%, 7% would be added to the population. Americans should be up in arms. We, we, the, the, the Democrat candidate for president has admitted his plan is for pathway to citizenship, amnesty for illegal aliens in the country. Two problems. You're transforming the country and the people are not assimilating well enough yet. And two, you immediately guaranteed get a flood of more people that come in and claim they were here. As Ann Coulter's written about a bunch of times, there's a, there's a whole body of evidence, uh, research, that shows that people came after the last amnesty, the Reagan amnesty in 87, and they came in the 88, 89, 90, 91, and guess what? If they were willing to lie and come illegally to America, they were willing to lie about what date they came, and you couldn't prove it because you didn't get your, ha- your hand uh, passport stamped when you came through illegally. So that's a breathtaking decision for Trump, uh, for Biden to say uh, on the stage, you, you crash our health care system, you crash our public school system, you transform our elections uh, dramatically. That's not a decision that should be taken lightly. And I'm glad of all the other times he was lying about things. I'm glad he admitted on this one, but I just don't see enough coverage of it. The American people should be saying that's the choice. I w- Look, I do wish the president, President Trump, talked more about immigration. I think the issue is still the most important. Well, still one of the top two issues, three issues that this country faces. Now the pandemic is probably number one, getting through it, getting our economy back. But I think right behind that is the immigration problem, because the immigration problem, when you couple it with a poor education system, you start to put yourself in a place where you're getting people here that aren't really American. They're just here in America. And then they're voting in our elections and transforming our country. So that was extraordinary. You need to check that out. I put out a press release on it to say, uh, well, I guess um, Friday afternoon. I can't remember now when, but exactly pointing it out and, and noting that the press wasn't covering it. Joe Biden wants illegal em- immigrants amnesty wants Joe Biden wants amnesty for illegal aliens. 11 million, he says, experts say at least 15 million. I tell you, it's 22, 23, 24 million people. That's crazy. That's a crazy thing to do. All right, everybody, listen, have a great weekend. Thank you for listening to the Pro-America Report. Pass it on to your friends. Pass it on to your neighbors. Even give it to your enemies. Sign up for the Pro-America Report Daily Wink over at ProAmericaReport.com. And we will be back Monday filling in for Andrea Kay on Monday. And uh, we'll be back then. Talk to you soon. Ed Martin, Pro-America Report. Have a great weekend, everybody. Mm-hmm.